Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning. Singapore is moving to reopen from today. Faster than expected, say some. Today marks phase one of the easing of circuit breaker measures and phase two is expected to happen end June. We're all looking to that. That's when dining out and meetups for small groups could resume. Even as we tread a cautious path forward towards recovery, what does recovery really mean in terms of expected recovery for REITs? Also, we're closer than ever to a fair tenancy law. Many private sector tenancy agreements between landlords and tenants have been described as being marked by inequality and selfishness. Good for landlords, not so good for tenants or consumers. We are expecting a new bill to be introduced in Parliament this week to provide relief for tenants of commercial, industrial and office properties for suffering SMEs. Now, the government will provide a $2 billion cash grant to help offset rent costs. IRA will, IRS will disburse this to property owners from the end of July. Landlords are required to pass on the benefit to their eligible SME tenants. So what will this mean, this new law mean for the purse strings of REITs? We're going to put that question to Gabriel Yap. Gabriel, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Michelle. Chairman of GCP Global joining us live. All right, since the last time we talked, what is your take on the winners and losers in terms of REIT performance so far, Gabriel? Well, we last talked a month ago, and you noticed that REITs essentially has broken out of the circuit break, you know, a month ago. You know, the REITs have actually soared by as much as 30 to 40 percent from the lows reached on the 23rd of March. And essentially, you can see that the characteristic of the winners were the ones that we have highlighted in your program that includes the large industrial REITs, the uh, data center reads as well as the healthcare reads. The ones that have really lagged are the ones that we've rather weak uh, balance sheet, the ones that we have termed as value traps in your program. Uh, These are the ones that essentially that seem to have offered higher yields, but essentially due to certain balance sheet characteristics as well as the nature of the leases that tend to be on the weaker side, that's where you see that the uh, the, uh, the the REITs, this were the REITs that have actually underperformed. All right. I remember those three parts you had us put together, the good, the bad, the ugly. So those calls uh, were really great, Gabriel, looking back. Now, if past this week, I want to look forward. If past this week, we're going to see new laws that will require landlords to grant rental waivers of anywhere between two months to up to four months to reduce temporarily also what landlords can expect by way of late payments of contracts already in force. So, Gabriel, what is your take on this new uh, perceived as fair tenancy bill, will it impact REIT's cash flow? Um, I think essentially it's a further extension of the earlier new uh, bill, COVID-19 slash uh, and open slash mm-hmm. um, that was actually introduced uh, earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a further extension because of the further extension of the circuit break to <coughs> to CC. Uh, B basis. So essentially what is happening is that it is uh, uh, covering uh, certain aspects that are more uh, more wide-ranging. So it's no longer just constrained towards the retail 
um, as well as the hospitality sector. Right now, it's also covering both the industrial as well as uh, the uh, the office sector. But if you actually look at the REITs that are likely to be affected, most of them have already either made provisions for it, uh, sufficient that though it may be, especially with the CCR opening up. Um, henceforth, that's why you see the REITs prices have actually rallied when uh, since last week up to this week, you know, rather than actually taking a break. Do you see some REITs likely to be more impacted than others in terms of, you know, either type or balance sheet? Oh, yes, certainly so, because uh, the moving forward post-COVID-19, I think the resiliency of the REIT uh, is a key thing in uh, determining which are the REITs that will do well. I think investors would not love those REITs that are flooding with a 40% um, gearing level. So the likes of OUE Commercial Trust, the likes of Soybuilt uh, Business Trust, you notice that this... Uh, Two reads have actually underperformed because the curing ratios are really high. If you want to include <clears throat> ARA and logos, we just previously named catch logistics in there, mm. uh, you'll notice that the trend is there very clearly. Investors at this stage do not want to be flooding with uh, REITs that are one to number value traps, two gearing ratios are high, which means that there's a very high propensity uh, of calling for a rights issue just to actually buffer up the um, their balance sheet. I think if you look at um, the uh, investors' fear, it's not uh, misplaced because during the global financial crisis, that's way back in 2007 and 2009, there, there were 22 REITs stand listed. More, well, I won't say more, more, uh, 10 of the 22 REITs actually went to the market to raise funds when prices were very low. Henceforth, you can see and feel and uh, you know, for the uh, for the uh, uh, investors that are fearful that this REIT will do the same thing this time around. I would summon the fact that essentially this time around, that there are key differences. I think the balance sheet of most of the REITs are far, far stronger. I think essentially most of the acquisitions that the REITs have undertaken uh, have already been... Uh, I mean, and this, the funds have been set aside, anticipated for, as well as actually raised. You know, whereas not like during the last global financial crisis, there were certain, I wouldn't, I would say, I wouldn't say missteps, but uh, certain anticipations that did not come in sync. You know, take for example, Capital Reed then was known as K Reed. You know, so what Capital Reed did when they bought one third of uh, uh, one Raffles K was to actually borrow from the parent. You know, mm. that's Capital Corp up to as much as $942 million. Man, that's a huge amount, mm. you know, but in way back into eight. But, you know, for, for you to do that, you know, uh, when you want to do an acquisition that huge, why go for a bridging loan? You should have raised funds then and there. So uh, subsequently, a year later, Capital was forced to go to the market at the bottom of the market, you know, to raise a, a severely discounted rights issue. And that's where shareholders really suffered and cried. He's Gabriel Yap, chairman of GCP Global. Gabriel, you said in the um, wonderful newsletter you sent me, uh, if you cannot anticipate, you will be annihilated. Now, what do you think about where we are now? We're taking tentative steps towards reopening, right? DBS Group yeah. Research saying that it recommends accumulating certain Singapore real estate investment trusts following overselling of the sector by investors. Uh, it singled out Capital Land Mall Trust, 
Fraser Centrepoint Trust, Suntec REIT, Keppel REIT, Lend, Lease, Global REIT, Maple Tree Industrial Trust and Ascendus REIT for their quality assets and attractive value relative to growth. Do you agree with this analysis? Uh, yes, um, the, um, the the tech line that's actually if you cannot anticipate, you need your your investment portfolios will be in annihilated. That's actually in our news Monday newsletter where your viewers can just click in, uh, uh, just log in to the GCB Global website. You will see the full newsletter. It's a twelve thirteen pager detailed publication, uh, which we actually dish out every month. I think. Therein, we discussed the fact that for REIT investors, it's very clear that um, in situations like a crisis, that what we've seen just, just, that just passed, you know, that's a COVID-19 huge sell now where the market sold down within 22 days uh, as much as 38% fall. This is totally, totally unprecedented. Uh, if you go back in the history of Singapore REITs, the only month, the only month uh, where REITs were sold down very severely, that was in October 2008. And the amount in which they fell was 34%. This time around, we fell within 22 days in equivalent to a month, 38%. So this is huge, you know, and this is a new history, you know. So in this regard, REITs, while it actually has been very defensive, in fact, it was very defensive during the uh, European uh, debt crisis in 2011, the tapering uh, tendering effect in 2013, the sell-off uh, arising from the uh, re- devaluation of the Chinese renminbi in 2015, as well as actually the uh, market correction in 2018. They have outperformed the STI index, but in crisis, in crisis, that is in the, t- in the global financial crisis, and this current crisis, they actually uh, sold off more than the STI index as well as asset, other asset classes. This means, therefore, for the REIT investors, you need to always be defensive. You need to always be anticipate. You know, just in case there's a greater amount of funds, mm. you need to actually commit these funds and take up, you know, a cheap issue. So if you have managed to anticipate this, you know, being in those names uh, like CMT, Ascendus REIT, Lendlease that you have mentioned, then you'll notice that you can catch them at really rock bottom prices. And that's where it will make your uh, stock portfolio rocks. Okay, speaking of retail REITs, do you think there are exceptions uh, in terms of, for example, certain retail REITs that have a dependence on tourist arrivals or luxury retail uh, that could still face uncertainties as we walk this path towards reopening? Oh, yes. Um, the uh, <clears throat> the more tourist-dependent malls, that's including uh, Wisma Atria, uh, Takashimaya, which actually belongs to Starting Global, uh, then you actually have Paragon that is belonging to SPH REIT. These are the two, um, these are the three malls, uh, and therefore the impact of these two REITs is more severe. So it's not surprising if when you look at the recovery in the uh, the, the REIT prices for the retail uh, REITs, you notice that CMT, MCT, FCT actually leads the charge. And beginning last week, Lendy started to move. You know, So essentially, the two laggards, that's basically Starhill Global and SPH REIT is a reflection that their assets, that it, their malls is far more dependent on the tourist arrivals, which is not likely to happen until maybe the later, latter part of the year. 
This is Money and Me. We're getting a masterclass today on REITs from Gabriel Yap, chairman of GCP Global. I want to pick up on that theme of, you know, unprecedented, the unprecedented context for REITs. Art, uh, Ascot Residence Trust, the largest hospitality trust in APEC, will not be redeeming its perpetual issue on its first call date next month. This is unprecedented for REIT perpetuals. It's a little bit technical, but... Hopefully you can break it down for us. What do you make of this? And does this pave the way for other issuers to also pass on their first calls? Um, couple of, let's break down this question in a couple of phrases. One is, yes, it's unprecedented. It's never been done in a Singapore REITs context. Uh, will it happen to the other REITs uh, players um, <clears throat> Later this year, the answer is probably no, because the next one that's coming up for redemptions actually by Maple Tree Logistics, that's actually in October. Um, so essentially, uh, when I look at Maple Tree Logistics, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's owned by the Maple Tree Group. I think the, uh, if we look at essentially the cost of funds uh, of the various funding options that it has, as well as geographically spread for the uh, various assets, uh, they can easily raise uh, Money at a much cheaper level, that's less than 2% in certain jurisdictions, like say Hong Kong, um, in Japan. You know, um, so essentially to offset the 4 over plus uh, coupon rate that they're paying for the perks, uh, essentially it will, um, uh, it, 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 it makes sense. But whether they will do it or not, of course, it will, dependent, will be dependent very much on the uh, capital acquisitions techniques then and there in October this year, as well as actually whether there's a better deployment of funds. But come next year, that's where the crunch comes in because, Michelle, between now and next year, you mm. actually have um, the number of rates that have issued perks. Um, now, that total amount of perks is in the region of 1.6 billion. Yes, 1.6 billion. And uh, one of the... Uh, well, we have been a very uh, high critic of perks for REITs for a long, long time, simply because we do not like the definition of the perks. You know, um, the definition of perks within REITs balance sheet is that you account for it by 50% equity, meaning it doesn't hit your balance sheet. The other 50% is under gearing, when technically it is a loan, a loan for either three years, five years. And then if you do not repay, then you need to uh, reset the coupon rate, which is exactly what's happening to ASCAT rate. You know, so essentially, this is, a, this is actually uh, hitting the books of the balance sheet, but it's accounted for only by 50%. So uh, in our publications, you notice that we have always been wary of those reads mm. that basically have issued uh, especially very high coupon uh, uh, perks, you know, in trying to make their aggressive acquisitions. So examples is like uh, Lipo Malls, you know, with their perks is almost 7%, when they can't even earn 7%. Soy Build Business Trust, when their perks are at 6%, and they are finding it quite difficult, you know, to actually have uh, DPU accretive since they, uh, on a quarterly results basis, since they actually issued those perks. Okay, help us understand then DBS saying that the non-redemption is a positive for unit holders of art because the REIT is able to preserve its gearing capacity. Oh, uh, it's very simple. What is negative for PUC shareholders? Uh, in this case, the PUC shareholders of Escort PUCs will be positive for the ordinary shareholders of uh, of uh, of, uh, of Escort REIT. So essentially, uh, because the Perks is not being redeemed. 
So the financial standing um, of escort doesn't change. You know, noted that the cost of funds that is incremental interest expense to be incurred by escort will come in in the next few quarters. Mm-hmm. But uh, at this moment of uh, instability becoming stable, uh, people will want uh, to still be looking at rates um, um, where the balance sheet is very strong. The ICR numbers, that's the interest coverage ratios are very strong, the cost of funds are low, and the carrying ratio is less than 35%, like what Escort actually does. But if Escort basically refinances this perks with, say, an ordinary bank loan or, say, um, you know, drawing down the revolving credit, then essentially that loan of maybe four hundred million will be will qualify as hundred percent loan. So if that's the case, that will increase the gearing ratio of escort from the current less than thirty five percent to thirty nine percent. So you're flirting then with that forty percent level. So essentially, uh, by not redeeming that, then the ordinary shareholders, that is the common rate holders of escort, you know, will definitely brief, you know, uh, uh, aside, so to speak, at this juncture. Got it. All right, you say in your newsletter, which I am enjoying and still digesting because, as you say, it is comprehensive, you say market timing is the greatest source of wealth generation in a crisis. So in that spirit, Gabriel, what is your June outlook, your call on potential winners? Well, actually, we will address our our best winners in our upcoming class on the 20th of June. So um, for viewers who want to sign up, you can go to our website to sign up. But essentially, just to <coughs> cover it, we normally like, <coughs> and uh, we do not, sorry. You want to take a drink? You want to take a sip of water first? I think it was actually the coffee that I drank. <laughs> you know, maybe <laughs> <laughs> so I just need to dilute that with some water. <laughs> I mean, right. it, back in my Melbourne home at this time, we will be drinking beer, but you know, it's too early <laughs> That's perfect time. timing for beer. 10.24 in yeah. the morning. Love it. Yeah. No, when your REITs prices are moving up all the time, you know, every time is a REIT time. <laughs> it's, it's happy a beer hour. Time, rather. Yeah, I get that. All right. <laughs> so back to the uh, earlier question, you know, the winners for uh, generally going forward after this shaky uh, uh, period, you know, to avoid those reads that we have mentioned earlier with high ICR ratios, high, um, uh, or those that are flirting with gearing ratios close to 40% level, mm. avoid those reads where they are forced, <coughs> oh, excuse me again, to probably complete certain acquisitions for which they have earmarked but they have not raised funds for. Now, there are certain periods where it's a touch and go for certain REITs. You need to read the management well to know whether they will still go ahead and undertake acquisitions, you know, where uh, the acquisitions could be iffy, doesn't actually add to uh, overall DPU uh, substantially. You know, so for example, certain REITs like, um, <clears throat> have recently gone into the market to buy Australian assets. You know, the DPU impact is less than 1%, you know, and now with the fall in the Aussie against the Singapore dollar, you essentially have a very high translation loss. So it doesn't make sense. Mm. I mean, for REIT investors, one must be very, very highly cognizant of the fact that, you know, the whatever acquisitions that the 
REIT manager does because they are being paid acquisition fee, mm. you know, as well as actually there are also stamp duty to be charged, professional fees to be charged. So if a transaction is, say, $115 million, effectively it may cost as much as $125 million to the REIT um, investors. So essentially, um, those costs, you know, should be imputed and added on to your to your uh, NPI, original NPI yield. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not surprising that many of the REITs, <coughs> so sorry, now, when you read at the circulars, you know, I know a lot of people do not read the circulars because they're like 829 pages, 640 pages, that kind of thing. But, you know, for uh, uh, a read lover like myself, you know, I go through every pages and mm-hmm. I, I practically smell all the pages, yeah. you know, <laughs> with beer and coffee. <laughs> you know, so when I look at those numbers, some of those numbers are pretty shocking because, you know, when they, especially when reads uh, are buying foreign acquisitions as a portfolio, mm-hmm. you know, they normally just announce the blended MPI. You know, we have been a very high critic that, you know, a normal uh, 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 a normal uh, blended NPI doesn't tell you a lot of things, you see, because mm-hmm. uh, it's basically just an average of all the six assets or the 24 assets in that portfolio that's actually uh, uh, come from acquisition. So uh, the it doesn't tell you the underlying uh, performance of the occupancies of some of these assets. You know, so that's the things that we look behind in a very great detail. So the winners are the ones that uh, do not fall into these categories, mm-hmm. but the winners that we have mentioned earlier on, for which we will delve into further in our classes, you know, uh, because this uh, we don't have so much time today, you know, but uh, these are the ones that we talk in detail for each class point, because for each class we spend almost as much as 45 minutes looking at the characteristic of each read before you decide whether it's a strong buy or strong sell. We do not sit on a whole basis mm. because it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, that's just wonderful. You know, you're one of my favorite people to speak to on REITs. Thank you for your generosity. And I I would say to people out there, go check out the newsletter, if only to just listen to one podcast. And that's, I can't wait to listen to this one. The best REIT investing advice that Gabriel learned from his two-year-old baby. (laughs) That's what I'm going to look at after this. Gabriel, thank you for your time. I'll let you rest your voice now, all right? Pleasure. Yeah. And drink more coffee then. (laughs) And maybe some uh, beer a bit later. Gabriel Yap, chairman of GCP Global, joining us live in Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.